1: You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the
2: Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Tuesday morning. Happy New Year to everybody. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Jim Cramer. And we are live from the New York Stock Exchange. Carl has the morning off. Let's give you a look at futures as we get ready to start a new trading year. And we look like we're going to open on a positive note, at least for those who own equities. Also, in a few moments from now, we're going to have Blackstone's president and COO John Gray joining us. His firm's b receives a $4 billion investment from the University of California. Of course, b has been an interesting topic, and we're going to discuss that with him and a lot of other things as well. Let's, though, begin with the first trading day of 2023. and The market's, of course, coming off what has been the worst yearly performance they've seen since 2008. The Nasdaq was down 33% in 2022. Of course, we all know it was a very tough year for technology-related names, high-growth names, and so many others. The S&P 500 also posted a double-digit decline. It slid by more than 19.4%. The Dow was the best of the three, down only uh, 8.8%. And, Jim, I think also important to mention the bond market had a horrible year. and So so many people who are not just invested in equities but have that 60-40 split saw their portfolios get crushed last year because of that historic route in the bond market.
1: Right, Now we've had $2 trillion in, uh, in savings in 2021. It's down about a trillion. Uh, many people who thought they could retire on their savings, or at least bridge it to Social Security, and therefore decide to leave the workforce, I think are now stymied. And, uh, I think are the wor- a worrisome part of, uh, of the, the fabric of the country I believe that when you look at how fast rates went up, you, you know, you saw tremendous... Uh, this is a Fed tightening cycle to end all tightening cycles. I mean, this is just incredible. And yet it may not be enough because of uh, wage, wage growth, which we know Friday's going to be important. So, I mean, we got, we got this picture where they, they haven't won yet. No.
2: Uh, just because the calendar changes, does it mean anything else really changes, well, or are yeah, you and I going to have a similar conversation what we had before vacation? Well, I think there's two, twofold. One is it there are people... Uh, very good
1: analysts who are saying, it's time to get back into what got destroyed in the Nasdaq. So you see a Square recommendation, a PayPal recommendation. And then the other people just say, it's never going back. Stop it. We're now back into a world of, of price journeys, Multiple It's got to be reasonable. got to be around 16 to 18, uh, high 20. Uh, if it's uh, higher than that, then you've got to look askance. So I'm in the latter camp. Uh, the former camp, it just doesn't turn me on to go back to the NASDAQ names that were great software. You've you had these incredible enterprise software companies. Uh, you had companies that were uh, once beautiful technology companies that really excited people. And here I'm talking about Megacap. Course. David, you turn the calendar or make a cap, it doesn't matter.
2: It doesn't matter, you don't think. No. And as you look out towards this year and what we can expect, obviously, we're going to come back to the Fed so many times. That we've had this conversation. You're a bit lower, perhaps, in the terminal rate than some others in terms right. of where we're going to end but up and how quickly we're going to change. get there. Uh, look,
1: I, I come back but to thinking if you if you have a portfolio of companies that make things and do stuff, the stocks that are, uh, which companies which are profitable, and stocks that return some capital, either dividend or dividend buyback, and the valuation's not well above the average multiple investable. investable.
2: Um, we should point out, by the way, and you hear the applause, and now you can see it as well. The New York Stock Exchange is welcoming officials, enlistees, and guests of the U.S. Armed Forces. They're celebrating what is its first ever joint enlistment ceremony. going to have a number of honored guests here as well, and a, uh, a bit of a ceremony, so that is what you see going on there and why you hear some of the applause uh, as well. Well, there's something
1: great. Yeah. Start the year. It is. With uh, people it is. at I mean, I was at the uh, Eagles game on Sunday and we honor uh, people who serve. What a change right. when in the 70s. Where you, you know, but it's back to when my dad was a sergeant. Yeah. It's like, wow.
2: But you know, uh, Real. uh speaking of war at least. What? There there is still Uh, a horrible conflict going on in this world uh, that continues, that impacts grain, oil prices, so many other things. Uh, And then there is a a, more of a cold war between our country and China. These seem to be two two of the important things that are much harder to measure in 2023. I did a long 4,400
1: opus, word opus for the club, for Invest Club this week. And the the two most worrisome things are Russia. What do they do? Because they're not winning. Uh, But they have to be stopped. And who's going to stop them? And then Taiwan where 60% of the Chinese semiconductors come from. And don't you have to have a, more than just a, a guarantee? Don't you have boots on the ground for Taiwan? Yeah. And uh, I think that these are the not the, not the bonds and not the banks. They're the they're wild the cards. cards. They're the harder that's things right. to try well, they're the ones to try that potentially can't navigate, navigate, depending on what happens. Down 50%. Happens. Right down 50% in, in, without, in a heartbeat, and we just don't want that. Um, what we're going to be talking about, by the way, yeah. in a few minutes, is an area that of financial that I'm most worried about. Which is? Companies that have huge loan portfolios mm-hmm. uh, that could be underwater because the Fed took action so quickly. Uh, FDIC says the banks have $700 billion in held-for-sale uh, bonds that are underwater. Something to worry about. If you want to look, and I mention these things because people come back and say, OK, 2008, what are the similarities?
2: Uh, banks are much stronger, but much they have stronger. issues. Much stronger. Uh, we, yeah, but we don't seem to have any systemic issues. In no, they're none. The they're none. We because did. The
1: regulators change. The regulators change.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but I think it's going to be exciting here, David, and I'll tell I you hope why. So. I hope so. It's exciting because if we get a series of a wage stabilization and then, and then
2: reductions, mm-hmm. yeah. we're done. All right, we're, we're going to take a quick break here. Of course, these festivities will continue. And on the other side, Blackstone's president and COO, John Gray. What, what better guess could we have to start the year? My we biggest worry. $4 billion investment in the firm's B Beery. We'll talk about that and the broader economy as well. Keep it here.
0: Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help.
2: blackstone shares uh... they're moving up a bit one point three percent right now on news that it's real estate fund has received a four billion dollar investment from the university of california joining us now with more is john gray He's the president and coo of blackstone john good to have you happy new year uh... and i would assume it is an even happier one because of this deal tell me a bit about it why it how and how it came about and tell me why b read holders should be potentially happy about it as well.
3: Well, Happy New Year, David. It is a happy start of the year for us. Uh, we start with a big win for the University of California, for Blackstone, and for BREIT. It is a $4 billion common equity investment into REIT with an effective minimum hold period of six years. This is a massive affirmation of the quality of what we built with REIT. The asset values and the outlook for the business, and we feel terrific about that. And I would be remiss if I didn't give you a little bit of credit here, David, because I was on your program back on December 8th answering a bunch of questions around BREAT, and one of our longtime investors, uh, University of California Investments, a $150 billion pool of capital, their CIO, Jagdeep Bashar reached out and said, hey John, is there something we can do together here? Is there an opportunity to deploy some capital? We've been long-term partners and we spent a bunch of time talking about a potential structure. We came up with a structure that was a win-win here for us and them and then they went out around the country meeting with the CEOs of our portfolio companies, seeing real estate, looking at the financials, the valuations, the liquidity, and concluded this is where they wanted to deploy capital. And Jagdeep actually said to me this weekend, if I was building a real estate portfolio from scratch, REIT is exactly what I would have created. And so we think this is great for our investors in REIT, and obviously great for Blackstone and terrific for the University of California system as well.
2: Right now, uh, uh, you know the the deal is structured. So you know they, you get four billion of equity issued. You take a billion of your stock. Guarantee you see an eleven point two five percent annualized return over that six year hold period. To be clear, that's not a deal that the average B reit investor can get, John.
3: No, it's not. And, and you described it well, David. They are investing in the common stock of REIT on the same fees and terms as other investors. And I think that is really important. And I do think no matter what the structure is, you wouldn't put this kind of capital into REIT without having a lot of confidence in the underlying assets, their values and the outlook. The other point I would make is when we do typical large-scale funds for us, big investors do get some additional consideration. In this case, they're investing $4 billion. The typical B-REED investor does about $70,000. Uh, typical investor can get liquidity beginning after a month. This is six years, effectively, as we talked about. And so we did create this structure together with a billion dollars of our existing holdings, giving them a minimum return uh, for some downside protection and then giving us some additional upside. Um, And we think that also shows our confidence here. So from both sides, we see this as a real win-win.
2: Yeah. Um, You know, you referenced our conversation of a number of weeks back, December 8th. Obviously, a lot of focus on b read at that point and see in the weeks that followed as well on redemptions from Asian investors, from others. Where do things stand right now? John, this investment doesn't necessarily impact what may still be the need by some investors to redeem and your inability to to make them fully liquid, as, of course, is your right.
3: Yeah, I think what's important here is to contextualize uh, the redemption story uh... as we talked about on your program back then you know this is a semi-liquid vehicle It was designed up front to provide some liquidity but with limitations including uh, a five percent uh... cap on redemptions on a quarterly basis all subject to the board's approval and so that was in place i think the other important thing to note is in december that just happened here After eight weeks of, I would describe as, relentlessly negative press coverage, just 3% of our U.S. investors are seeking liquidity and 5% overall. If you think about a typical uh, S&P stock, about 4, 4 4.5% trades in a given month. So this idea that there's been a tsunami of redemptions isn't really consistent with the facts. Our investors are actually quite happy Obviously, some concerns have been raised by these commentators. But overall, the performance, the fact that we've delivered three times the public REIT market over the last six years, our positioning in the Sun Belt and in logistics and rental housing, our long-term hedge balance sheet, our investors have confidence in us. And this investment today from the University of California, I think will add to that confidence.
2: Right. Well, you say, obviously, you know, they vetted their portfolio. They have confidence in the NAV. It doesn't mean, though, John, that there still won't be these questions about, well, why is your NAV still up? Now, it was up 8.4 percent end of November. I don't know what the latest number is, whereas the public REIT market, obviously, has been down sharply. Does it mean the University of California agrees with the way you're valuing things and the value of those specific assets as opposed to these public REITs?
3: Well, they have to, the university would have to speak for itself, but obviously they did a lot of work and would not write this kind of check, I don't believe, unless they had confidence in the assets and in their valuations. In addition, as we talked about last month, um, there are a number of things that we've done I think can give investors confidence with the portfolio. One is we sold $5 billion of real estate last year above our marks, which we think is a very good validator. We were moving cap rates up, discount rates up, essentially taking the multiples down on the assets last year as cash flow grew. And importantly, our cash flow in REIT grew 13 percent last year or year to date, 65 percent higher than public REITs. We also had this big hedge in place on interest rates, which right. generated more than $4 billion of value. And I would just point out on the public reads, David, they tend to trade at times well above net asset value and then well below. Yep. So if you went back to 2021, in our chosen sectors, they were up 63%. We did not mark up our portfolio 63%. And I think commentators sometimes lose sight of that Our focus is on NAV. I think those sales that we did reflect that, and this investment also reflects confidence in our valuations.
2: Right, well, we talked about the potential for you having to speed up to have perhaps some sales in terms of meeting future redemptions. Does this change that dynamic? And frankly, you have four billion in new liquidity. John, are there enough assets out there that you're looking at at prices that you'd wanna buy, or is this something you're going to leg into over a long period of time?
3: Well, the nice thing about having liquidity is it gives you a lot of optionality and flexibility. We said when we were on the program last time we had $9 billion of cash and immediate liquidity. Uh, We sold uh, a large set of assets in Las Vegas, which generates another billion dollars. This is four billion dollars additional. So this gives us flexibility to deal with all sorts of things, including, to your point, deployment. There may be opportunities out there in a dislocated market. And we love the idea of being able potentially to take advantage of that obviously there's redemptions we have a lot of tools and we talked about that we've got the ability to sell assets we have the ability to deploy assets this is a new tool raising institutional capital this is a big robust vehicle and the important thing is it owns the right kind of real estate obviously we're in a challenging period the economy is likely to slow here but we think this portfolio is very well positioned for the environment
2: Yeah. Well, you mentioned the environment. And obviously, we're happy to have you with the change of the calendar here. Uh, But you're saying many of the same things you were saying towards the end of last year. How challenging do you believe the economy is right now, John? What are your expectations for this year as we continue to watch the Fed and we expect continue to raise rates through the early part of the year?
3: Well, if you step back, I think we're sort of in the third phase of the post COVID period. The first phase was mid 2020 through the end of 21, that boom period uh, with huge stimulus. Asset prices went up, the economy boomed, inflation went up. Last year, the Fed uh, moved very aggressively, taking the cost of capital from zero to 4.5%. That impacted interest rate sensitive assets, stocks, bonds for sale, housing, um, furniture, and goods, Uh, but the real economy hung in there pretty well. We do expect as we move into uh, this year, 2023, we'll see a further slowdown in the economy because of the weight of Fed policy, Um, but at the same time, we think inflation is slowing. We're seeing that in our portfolio companies, in shipping costs, in commodity costs, the labor market's starting to cool a bit, which is encouraging. But we think the Fed will hold rates once they finish in the next quarter or two at these elevated levels. And then we'll see a bit of a slowdown through the year. On the positive side, we don't have the kind of imbalances we did back in 2008 and 9, And that makes us feel better. But I think everyone should recognize it'll be a tougher year economically in 2023.
1: Absolutely. Jonathan, Jim. Thank you for coming on pleasure and happy new year
3: happy new year
1: let's say i'm uh, an advisor for wealthy people and i came to you and i said look i've got people they want to average in here they very much want to get the same rate that the regents of university of california got using investments uh, because we think it's a great opportunity what do you say to them well
3: what i would say to them is what uh, Cal Regents did is fundamentally different. Obviously, it's it's much larger. I think it's 57,000 times larger than a typical investor. Uh, it's also for a duration that's 72 times larger than the liquidity individual investors. So, as we do in other vehicles, there are different terms. And I would also point out to them that that Cal Regents didn't just do this for the minimum return. They have real confidence in the vehicle. And what I would say is the diligence they did, the thoroughness reflects the fact that this is the kind of portfolio they want to invest in and they take a long term approach. And I think, Jim, one of the issues has been over time, the focus on, you know, public liquidity. Is this a daily mutual fund? It's not. It's a semi liquid vehicle. And at Blackstone, the way we've been able to deliver better returns is having investors trade a bit of liquidity for a longer term hold. So what I'd recommend is leg in over time, invest in high quality real estate with a good sponsor and good things should happen over time.
1: One of my friends, Jonathan, Michael Semblis, is a terrific strategist over at J.P. Morgan, saying one concern as we head into a possible recession, the minimal repricing of leveraged loans after a decade of declining investor protection and rising leverage. Now, I know you can't speak for others in the business, but it does sound like you were constantly repricing. I also think that others weren't. Do you see risk to the fact that others in your industry simply haven't repriced and are kind of whistling past the graveyard?
3: Well, I think it varies by asset class. I think in the private markets, um, the area that probably has the most exposure are more growth and tech-oriented investments. You guys have talked about this a lot. Um, that's the area, companies that don't earn profits, where I think the greatest sort of risk, uh, and it reminds me of the early 2000s where we had an equity bubble on technology a little bit. I think that's where there'll be some repricing. I think there could be others who haven't repriced things, but specifically in uh, non-investment grade credit, what I'd say, Jim, is it was much more disciplined than what we experienced back in 06, 07. Average loan-to-value on leverage deals, corporate leverage deals, was still sub-50 percent versus the 70, 80 percent last time. So I'm not as certain as Michael is that there'll be increased defaults, certainly, but I think there was much more prudence in the system this time than there was 15 years ago.
2: John, let me end on a sort of a, a subject of uh, my expertise for many years, M&A, specific to private equity, which, of course, is how we used to describe Blackstone. Um, you know, is the financing there at a rate that still is going to make deals uh, favorable in terms of return uh, based on current prices, or are we in a period where it's just hard to find an equilibrium?
3: Well, I would say, David, in these moments of uncertainty, it is harder to find equilibrium, but you can get transactions done. Uh, We bought Emerson's Climate Technologies business for $14 billion. Uh, We did a very creative partnership with them. They had some seller financing. We went to the direct lending market, and we got something done that we think will be a terrific long-term investment for our private equity group and our investors. But those are harder to do than when markets are functioning more smoothly. My forecast would be that when the Fed completes its mission, which, as I said, I expect in the first half of the year, I think spread should come down. Market participants will return and we'll see more transaction activity. But we may need a
2: little bit of patience. Sounds like we're going to need a bit of patience. All right. John, uh, always appreciate your taking time, particularly on the first trading day of the year. Well-timed. Thank you. Thank you both. John and, Gray from Blackstone.
1: And congratulations to you. You brought to light this issue. Um, it's obvious that UC is a very serious, rigorous investor. And it's interesting to see the disconnect between something that's happening with retail and what one of the most, one of the foremost investors they, of our time. They saw takes an opportunity, opportunity.
2: obviously, they, they do have a preferred deal to, a, right. to some extent. Right. But at the, at the same time, Blackstone believes it's going to make plenty of money from their investment uh it does validate the portfolio right. to your point point. and of course what's nice is that it actually came about as a result of our, our Absolutely. interview You're with john gray on and
1: 8. by the way to executives out there we love it when you come on when it's tough and we are relenting when you come on and say that this is exactly
2: what could happen it pays uh, regardless all right coming up we're going to get jim's first
0: Mad dash
2: of 2023. We're going to count you down to an opening bell as well. Stay with us.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, Today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager.
2: All right, let's get our first mad dash of the year uh, in
1: before we get our first opening bell. Right. You know, I just want to say for a moment on what was just talked about. It, one of the problems we have in 2022 was these leveraged loans. Another one was FinTech in general. And whether fintech can bounce back, because it was as disastrous as real estate became because of the rates, as megatech. And so this morning, we have Truist upgrading PayPal, which, by the way, was one of the five worst stocks oh, in the PayPal market. was a disaster
2: last year. And Continued pressure on its CEO, right? I mean, you constantly hear, Ms. Schulman going to... Well, ha- well, one of the things, I'm glad you
1: mentioned that. In the truest upgrade, potential leadership evolution. We would not be surprised by C-suite changes. following CFO John Mendes' departure. Shulman will be 65, talking about maybe he departs. Now, David, I am against this kind of upgrade. It can bounce for a couple days, but in the end, I see regulation for fintech. I see fintech, uh, too high multiple. And yes, anything can bounce. But we need staying power this year. JP
2: Morgan, and here we hear our first opening bell of the year. Take a look back at the CBC real-time exchange here at the big board. You see them all: U.S. Armed Forces enlistees, General Garrido, commanding general of the United States Training and Doctrine Command, doing the honors over the NASAT WW International, also known as
1: Weight Watchers. Very nice scene here. Very nice. Wonderful. David, if you look at this market, you're going to see megatech, mega you know, we're talking, about, we're talking about the Amazon's bounce, just because there's, the law selling was relentless. And so the question is, do you feel that they're, they have fallen enough and are out of people's portfolios enough that they can bottom? And they're all trading with each other, okay? Right. Uh, I didn't see Apple pre announced today, which is actually good news. Because we know that they had a supply problem. But I look at these stocks and think, you know what? There's still no good until they make radical changes, until Zuckerberg addresses the losses of the metaverse. And let until Amazon addresses and right sizes its company. To Alphabet commits to ultimate profitability and perhaps letting some companies, some people go. Uh, we just don't have that yet. Yeah. And that is the crescendo that we need. We need big changes at big tech. I'd much rather be in companies levered to uh, infrastructure, healthcare, things that were either from Washington or
2: do well in a slowdown. Um, Well, at the bottom of of the last board you saw, there was Tesla. Speaking of stocks that obviously had horrible years last year, Jim, and questions about whether it's bottom? Uh, not yet. Uh, no. Not yet, it would appear. As you see, the stock's down another 5%. This is yeah. uh, in response to... We did get fourth quarter uh, deliveries uh, and production numbers as well. Produced 439,000 vehicles, delivered over 405,000 vehicles. Uh, that was up 40% year-over-year year and 47% for production, but below what analysts had anticipated. Yeah, not enough. Not and enough. remember, they had pulled in their expectations a bit a couple of months back as well. So, stock is getting hit yet again. Of course, this has been one of the more interesting scenarios to watch last year, as we all know. Um, he continues to be the CEO of Twitter, but and Twitter he continues to uh, occasionally tweet things that seem to ostracize certain potential buyers of his Tesla product. Um, and there just continue to be a lot of questions about the ability of Tesla to grow at the rate that had been anticipated previously. It's still gonna grow quickly. And yet at this other side, is a multiple now, Jim, that many say is reasonable based on that growth rate. Well, I think
1: you need to know, is he able to sell SpaceX shares? There's a valuation apparently here of 138 billion. We need to know how far along he is in selling Tesla stock for Well,
2: he says he's done, remember?
1: I know. David, I can tell you I'm done, and I think you'd say, Jim, if you aren't done, I'm uncomfortable the next year, because it means to me that you have credibility issues. David, this is the year that the other companies come for Tesla. This is the year where Ford, as bedraggled as you may think it is, will be producing at a level of, say, 350,000 uh, EV, GM committed to that. Now, you may think that all those companies are suboptimal versus Tesla. But they're going to have cars. And that means there's going to be discount. Now, there was discounting in the fourth quarter on Tesla. which was one of the reasons why the analysts are seeing that. And there's an
2: expectation of further discounting yet to come from Tesla. the need to move product. But Tesla fits Uh, into
1: this group of stocks that I'm just saying, you know what? They're just, they just don't make
2: it for me this year. I mean, if you can buy Tesla at a, what really ends up being a 25 multiple or something like that, based on 23 or 24 numbers, I mean, we can always look ahead to, already look ahead to next year in the numbers. Well, That's,
1: no, you're right. I mean, look, Tesla is a bit of a special situation. Because I'm a little low. I'm a
2: little low there. It's, high, it's a higher multiple. Right. Than, than,
1: well, than, look, but look, I just think that there's, we underestimated how much competition there was last year to cloud. Yeah. We underestimated how much competition there was to advertising. I don't want to underestimate how much competition there is in TEV, uh, because I spend too much time with Mary Barra and Jim, uh, from GM and Jim Farley from Ford to think that their uh, fleets
2: are idle. They're no, coming. They're, they're com- and, by the, and then we haven't mentioned China. We haven't uh, where the growth opportunity for Tesla is perhaps one of the most important parts of the overall company, obviously the Shanghai plant, which uh, was idled for a bit. Right. Um, but how about that And then the domestic immunity? market there where they have a lot of competition as well.
1: Right. Uh, yes. And companies that are actually part of the China stock market that's doing well, remember what we do have, we have this kind of, kind of bizarre situation where we have herd immunity developing in China, ju- judging by the subway numbers that they give us. Now unfortunately, herd immunity also means that survival of the fittest.
2: Yeah, China's, as always, uh, somewhat opaque, I think, in terms of really trying to understand what's happening there. There are numbers that seem to indicate um, metropolitan areas like Beijing are starting to see uh, a significant rise in activity. But at the same time, you've got COVID running throughout this country. You've got overrun emergency rooms and hospitals. You've got people who simply don't want to go to work or stay away as a result of the fact that it's now. Right. a COVID policy no, is one gone. one of my
1: themes, you know, for the Investing Club, I have to come up with themes, obviously. One of my themes, quite clearly, is, is that we became the most investable country in the world, uh, that China has alienated many, the, even the Belt and Road initiatives, people where they give you money, people reluctant to take the money. Uh, the, the alliance of Russia and China has just isolated these countries. But the need to have the semiconductors and technology helped as per All
2: right, so if I want a sort of a, 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 a group of names to focus on this year, uh, you know, if we if we rewound the clock a year ago, I would have wanted to hear about Exxon and Chevron. Would have wanted a very bullish up, forecast for those companies given the performance of the stock. I would have also loved somebody to, on our show to say, you know what, I'm all in on Merck. Um,
1: Merck was a big mix and Exxon was a big miss for a lot of people.
2: You know, Not all right, a year from now, when you and I are sitting here, what are we going to look back on and say there was a missed opportunity or there was something that was uh, perhaps overlooked or maybe okay. fully understood that great went question. up a lot?
1: I want companies, you know, with great balance sheets that are returning good capital that are actually doing self-help. That comes back to Johnson & Johnson. I think, look, nothing is a no-brainer. I often hear people come on our air and say, what's well, a no-brainer. Precisely. Are you kidding me? These are stocks. They're pieces of paper. But the idea that you're going to get a faster-growing pharma and medical device company, while also getting premier consumer product group, this is Neutrogena, Aveeno, uh, Listerine, Band-Aid, is so attractive to me that I do not understand why that stock isn't at 200 Right. Now, we have, it's, we have a GE breakup This does not attract me as much.
2: It's not as attractive to you, and we should point out, of course, uh, GE Medical is going to, is already trading when it's coming, it's the split is occurring, obviously, uh, GE's aerospace and then its power division still together, but eventually that will split apart right. next year. Um, you know, it is a good lesson, though, when you look back at GE, and I don't know if we can go back 20 years or how far we have, sometimes, Jim, these companies never come back fully. And it doesn't mean that the leadership of Mr. Culp has not been strong. Right. And it doesn't mean that he hasn't adopted the right plan for the right time. But this was a $600 billion market value company. It's hard to ever imagine that whatever the sum of the parts may be as a trade separately into the future will ever come back to that number. Sometimes it just makes sense to sell. <laughs>
1: right. And I, I think the Culp CEO is excellent. But the handy guy was so horrendous that maybe... Uh, There's not as much
2: coming back. It's so hard to reinvent. You know, you can look at uh, iconic companies through the years, whether it's IBM or HP. There's one name that that was reinvented, it's interesting, which is Microsoft.
1: Right. And and that Uh, was Nadella,
2: what he did. He did a great job.
1: Right. He executed well at his core. Uh, He got rid of the phone. He moved aggressively into cloud. Uh, really, to But that's just a 30 times earnings, yeah. which is, makes it the most expensive of the mega caps other than Amazon, because we can't really it out. I mean, Alphabet is the, is the conundrum, sells at a market multiple. And we don't understand and that. And has
2: for quite some time. Right, but everybody's but they, everybody's they, refrain is always Alphabet's so cheap, and it seems to be staying that way.
1: But, but you mentioned the biggest mistake that, that money managers made in 2022. They missed St. <laughs> Merck. You told me over and over again that the Merck, uh, that basically their innovation had
2: had changed. I was focused on their antiviral, of course, because, you know, I've reported so much in Molnupiravir, which, by the way, has done very well, but not in our country. Max Lovett is the chosen antiviral amongst the medical profession here. But around the world, they've sold a lot of Molnupiravir, but there are a lot of other things going on there as well. If
1: you're in a slowdown mode, you buy, you know, people used to buy Bristol-Myers. They yep. bought Merck because it was incredibly undervalued because they had the best cancer franchise, and I just think that that was the purloin letter. That right. was the one we sh- everybody should have had, and it just was nonstop.
2: Although, uh, listening to you as I do, I know going into this year, you're still very bullish on Lilly. I mean, if you had to choose, well, Lily, right, because of the uh, the obesity drug right. or what will be fully approved at some point. Yes, still this not, year, right? Still no, not approved. It is for, being written.
1: The prescriptions there been are being a lot of written stories for this about thing. That. Uh, it is going to be, I bet, this is a drug reduction where you lose 15 pounds with a one dose and maybe lose 20, 25 pounds, 15 uh, percent of your body fat. Uh, uh, yeah, look, let's put it this way. You lose a lot of weight. I don't want to put exactly this. We hear different things about what, what it's going to do, but let, let's put it this way. Uh, if there's a drug with no side effects that makes you lose weight, then and obesity is a major problem in our country.
2: Did you happen to see those tweets from Bill Ackman over the weekend about Pepsi and Coke?
1: No, I, Saying I don't Saying that they don't
2: actually... Yeah, I don't typically follow so him is. as well, but I did notice them. They were kind of interesting. Picking a fight with them to a certain extent Pepsi about the impact they have on society as a result of what he says is their contribution to obesity.
1: Well, look, uh, Michael Bloomberg long believed that. Yeah. Um, but it's a fight that has not been won. Those companies are very powerful. Uh, but I, I do think that when you get a situation, David, where you've got... Uh, uh, drug companies on Alzheimer's, drug companies on weight loss, drug companies solving heart issues, drug companies solving cancer, while you're going into a slowdown, it makes it a lot easier. I mean, Pfizer is not a hard stock to own. It is interesting that the party members in China are fighting to get Pavlov, Pavlov the
2: but again, if I hear you, and we're going to discuss it many times in the coming weeks and months, the playbook that you see working is some similar to what you saw towards the end of the year. Don't fall for the fallen angels, the high-growth companies that no longer no. have the multiples that once seemed to Let attract people, anal- even though high as they were. Right.
1: The all want you in them. They all want you in square, okay? They're thinking, well, maybe this is you know, a good company like Datadog. Uh, if it's selling at a price of sales, forget it. Uh, if it's selling at a price of more, uh, earnings that's still way too high, forget it. David, the losers, now, it's not Bob Dylan. It's not, you know, the times are changing. The losers now, will, you know, the winners will later be last. No. What it is is a recognition that we're in a slowdown. Uh, and certain stocks do better in a slowdown. Period. Don't outthink it. It's a mistake. We're going into a slowdown a fed mandated slowdown. Well, you heard
2: it, you heard it from John Gray of course. He was um, superb who did not say recession but did obviously indicate expectations for a slowdown and the fact that it's not just that the fed is going to get to a certain number but it's going to stay there. And I think that that becomes one of the key questions. How long do they remain at whatever their terminal rate you have is? Five, go back five to and a quarter way. percent. Well, By the way, Blackstone shares are, seem to be responding to that news this morning in a way that they weren't in the first few minutes of trading, up almost 4%.
1: Let's use examples that we're all familiar with. Zoom. Okay, now Zoom is one of the worst, like with Peloton, one of the worst performers yes. coming out. DocuSign. Now, they're all bouncing. But if they don't do something, if they don't reinvent, if Zoom doesn't use its cash, well, you're back in the soup again. Versus Bristol-Myers. Hey, look, if you want in the s and a stock that's a loser, Illumina. I mean, remember it rejected that, Rochebill? Yeah, of But they, they make fantastic gene sequencing. I, I'm looking for companies that are in healthcare that have gone down a lot. I'm not looking for fintech companies, period. David, the street, the brokers, they love fintech because there's so many deals. They love... This the uh, David. This software, you know, the enterprise software. Every venture capitalist is still acting as if it's twenty twenty. Don't get sucked in.
2: Okay, we won't. We'll to take a look at the broader markets. Um, let's get over to Bob Pisani for the first time this year as well get a read on things.
4: Good morning, Bob. Hello, David. Hi, guys. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, we're starting out strong, not only here, but overseas. I just want to show you, remember, they've been open for a couple days uh, over in, uh, in Europe and Asia, second day here. So uh, we had a nice move up in the Hang Seng. They're up 2.5% so far this week uh, as well, including uh, yesterday. Uh, Germany was up. Germany had inflation numbers out that were lower than expected, very good start to the year for them. They're up two days in a row. That's the stock 600 there. That's sort of the S&P 500. Also strong today here in the US. Well, it's happening and it's nice to see. There's a tendency in down years for the losing sectors to do better in the following year. What sectors had a really ugly time in 2022? Communication, services, and semiconductors. What's up? Outperforming? Communication and semiconductors. Nice to see that. The winning sectors tend to underperform in the following year after big down years. What was the big winner last year? Energy. What's underperforming? Energy. Also, another comparative winner last year was healthcare. That also is underperforming. So we are using a classic playbook here. You can see this with some of the big tech names here. Uh, Apple is down 25 percent. It's to the upside uh, at the open. Well, just switch negative there. But Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Meta all had very, very tough years. They are leading uh, the leaderboard, certainly in the technology area as well. How about some of the other sectors, some of the other stocks that were big losers last year? Well, with the exception of Tesla, which had disappointing production numbers that you see it down 6% there, Uh, Again, same pattern. Disney had a very rough year. PayPal, for example, had a rough year. They also are the leaderboard right there. So absent news like Tesla, we're following a standard uh, pattern. Uh, As for 2023, the opinions are just all over the map. It's amazing the dispersion of where people are on earnings estimates, price targets. Uh, Here's an average. I talked about this last week. An average of 22 strategists. Strategists, remember, are top-down people. They look at the economy from a macro point of view and then make projections onto the stock market from a macro. Not by bottoms up like analysts do, we had 22 of them, big names out there. Their average price target, they think the S&P is going to be up 6%. 4,078 is the average price target at the end of 2023. Uh, Here's something that's interesting. They're normally optimistic. Earnings down 4.5%. That is a little strange. It is very good for you to believe that most of the uh, uh, determination of stock prices is based on the direction of earnings trends. That's the largest single determinant of stock prices. It would be rather unusual to have Uh, prices up, notably, and earnings down. Some people are trying to explain this. Uh, Julian Emanuel, uh, over uh, uh, one of the big strategists uh, that's out there, Uh, he has uh, estimates for earnings down, prices up in 2023. And he's noted that this has happened before. We have seen situations many years and several years. He lists them uh, in his report yesterday, 1998, 2009, 2020, where we had prices up, and earnings down. Uh, this is all true, but it's fairly rare occurrence. It's good to follow earnings trends, folks. That's why uh, you're buying stocks largely. Uh, he also noted that we've had up years after large rate hikes in '82 and '85. So yes, we can have an up year with with uh, earnings down, but it's a really tough struggle uh, to get through. Finally, just want to point out, David, this is the anniversary, January 3rd. Uh, 2022 was the height of the stock market. That was the closing high that we had. That was 4,796. And we're just about 20% exactly below that. One year ago, we closed at an historic high. David, back to you.
2: Okay, Bob, thank you. One year ago. One year ago.
4: Of course, we have not performed
2: well in the S&P since then. And we haven't performed well in the bond market, which we'll get to in a minute. Of course, overall, don't forget as well, you can get on the CNBC Investing Club with Jim. Sign up, find out more, cbc.com. I have some surprises. Or just point your phone at the QR code on the screen. All right, speaking of bonds, before we head to break, because remember, last year was also, again, a horrible year for, for, uh, for the bond market. Um, let's see what we're doing now. Well, Yields are down. Yeah. Hence, prices are a bit higher. That two year note edging out at about 4.36%. We'll be right back. All right, you can see the SP gainers on this, the first trading day of the year, include Newmont and look at that. Crazy. Paramount and PayPal, of course, which Jim uh, mentioned got an upgrade. It was Truist, right, that uh, upgraded that stock? Yes. We're going to have stop trading with Jim after this. All right, let's get to stop trading.
1: You know I like these themes, and I kind of went over it, but some stocks crystallize it. For instance, Wolf Research, Finehouse, downgrades T-Mobile uh, to pure performance, not goodbye, I'd see you later. I don't want to do that. Um, I, T-Mobile's the best, Verizon, ATT aren't. There's no reason for me to think that you have to switch horses for T-Mobile when you have two other companies that I think are hobbled. So I'm looking for winners, and a lot of times the winners are right in your face.
2: So you're not a believer. I don't know what the reason for that what, downgrade was, but well, you're just not it, it, a believer. Well, valuation
1: versus Verizon, AT&T, and many other reasons. But, but you know, Verizon's tough, dude. at and tough. Balance sheets. You gotta know, be thinking about balance sheets going into recession.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, sheets. both balance sheets are embedded. better. Yeah, they, listen, they had a lot of, a lot of spending. AT&T balance sheet, although again, they offloaded a lot of debt. With right, Brothers. maybe Warner's
1: sell CNN. I don't know. I, uh, but That's David not an AT&T issue. Witness, the Dow is down, okay? People who get excited about this market will be as disappointed as if you got excited about last, last year's market. typically last week, by the way. So let's just be careful. Let's just fewer winners. All right. Fewer winners. But if you get a stock like a Regeneron, which is doing everything right and doesn't won't be affected by a slowdown. Don't be, don't mind that it was in the top part of the uh, of the NASDAQ 100. Don't,
2: don't. be put off okay. by winners. Um, what do you got tonight on the show?
1: Well, I I like to go over at the beginning of the year. I do best, uh, best investments for the Dow. Then the, I'm going to go through S&P, and then I'm going to go through uh, NASDAQ. I pick the bottom 20. I book, look at the bottom court and then the top and try to find out the best. And you know, for the club, David, at 2 o'clock today, I'm starting a thing called The Homestretch with with Jeff Marks. It's a podcast, if you're a member of the club. It'll be around two-ish. Two-ish. Two-ish, got it. All right.
2: (laughs) I miss you, and I'm glad to see you. It's good to be back It is good to be back. Soon enough, we'll have our our other partner here as well. We have a lot more for you, though, ahead this morning. Uh, When we come back, we're going to have a lot more on Tesla stock. Take a look. Down another 8.7% after those delivery and production numbers did not come in where analysts expected. Keep it here. You've been listening
1: to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. I'm
2: Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp,
0: which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentyx works on both.